All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. <laughs> I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Dabana. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are here on the second episode of season five to talk about a movie that I think was hotly anticipated last year. Third episode? Is it? Is it the third episode? Uh, it is. It is the third yeah. episode. Yeah. Demeter. And then... Um... And then Waseda. There we go. Yes. Completely blanked. Yeah. So third episode. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who are keeping score, Daniel's right again. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can't even begin to defend my my memory, man. Um, <laughs> it's just the worst. I was because like, I like I stopped for a second. I was like, wait, was Demeter in December? Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think this is one of those that uh, you know, and we've already established that my memory is shite. Uh, I think this is one of those that um, people talked about a lot before it came out. Yeah. Uh, last year. Um, in fact, when Link was asking me what we were doing this week, I told him it was going to be this. He was like, oh, man, I remember the trailer. And we, we we saw the poster at the movie theater. So, like, this is one that I like there was buzz about this movie. And then I feel like it kind of just went away. Uh, agreed. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of odd. So um, we're, we're talking about the boogeyman. So in a section, we're calling nightmare fuel. Right. Let's let's add some some fuel to the fire here. This movie. What do you think of it, man? So all I really knew going into this movie was that it was based on an old Stephen King short story, which, you mm -hmm. know, that that bodes well. Stephen King books, whole ass books don't always make very good movies. Um, especially in like 90 minute movies, but his short stories, that's where things tend to turn out really well. Yeah. So I was already kind of feeling that. Uh, but so then I, but that was all I knew. I went into it and I was like, all right. Cause I remember when I very first saw the trailer for this, I was like, all right, that's what I want to see, but I probably don't want to spend the money to like see in theaters. Right. Like mm -hmm. that seems like a good fun home watch. So I fired this thing up yesterday and I mean, it starts with a bang. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it just comes out of the gate firing. Uh, I think that this movie is I think that it is genuinely scary at some parts. Yeah, uh, I think that it does a lot of great things with with lighting. I think that that some of the, the actors give amazing performances. Uh, I think that kind you know, like story wise, kind of the script This is the same guys who wrote A Quiet Place, I think um who wrote this and so you know it definitely doesn't live up to that story wise but there, there's no. a lot there's a lot of really good stuff here i i ended up enjoying this a lot more than just kind of like the the popcorn fest jump scare like movie that i thought it was going to be mm -hmm. i really didn't expect uh too too much 
from it, which maybe that's the best possible way to go into this movie. Uh, so by the time it was over, I found myself, it became one of those movies where I ended up not taking a lot of notes because it is, it is very tense and it is very scary. And you kind of get sucked in and just seeing where all these twists and turns are going to go. So I, I enjoyed it. I don't want to say more than I thought I would because I just I really had zero expectations. So saying I enjoyed it more than I thought I would would probably be not the right way to go about it. But I think that there's a lot of really positive things to kind of take away from this. I do think that ultimately they outweigh the negatives. Uh, I, I enjoyed this movie. I I think I feel the same way you do. Um you texted me yesterday after I told you I'd seen it and you said, what'd you think? And I said, very dark and I liked it. And I stand by that. I think it's very dark. Um, the subject matter is something that I think is pretty universal. And um, grief is, I've said before on the show, one of these things that um, for me, it's the scariest thing in the world. Right. Um, I, I, I hate grieving. Uh, I feel for, um, for the bereaved there's, uh, because there's nothing you can do about it and you, you can't, you can't decide when you're done. Right. You know? Um, cause like with, uh, with a flu or something like you, you take some medicine, you sleep it off and in, in a week you're okay. Um, if you live in a first world country, right. Um, <laughs> right. And, and you, you've got health insurance and all that. Um, but grief isn't that way. So, um, so I, I think that there's this really sort of chaotic feeling that goes along with it. And seeing people grieve is awful, too, because you, you want them to, like, pull through. Right. Um, it's never that easy. It's never like, hey, um, I'm here for you. You know, just talk to me. It's it's not it's not that easy. So um, so movies about grief tend to do well with me, I think. So I'm going to talk about a lot of things that I liked about this movie. Because I know what I liked about it. And I'm not sure what it is that didn't work for me. And it's a it's Thank this you. really strange feeling because. We, usually when, when we get to like the end and we're rating a movie or like, man, I just talked about all this fantastic stuff and I can't think of a reason why I can knock it even half a rating, whatever it is. I know for sure this is not getting a perfect score. And, and it's, it, it, I can't pinpoint what it is that didn't feel perfect to me, but I can tell you that if I'm feeling like watching a horror movie about grief, I'll go back to talk to me before I go to this one. Yeah. I'll go back to hereditary before I go back to this one. I'll go back to Midsommar before I go back to this one. There's, um, there's something about it that doesn't work, but there is certainly, like you said, much more about it that works. Right. And I think that, I think that kind of, you know, you, you mentioned those other movies. I think that this movie does suffer from a little bit of fatigue from therapy, grief, mm -hmm. uh, trauma being the driving force behind a movie. Uh, because all the ones you mentioned, plus you could throw in smile, smile. Yep. uh, night house. Like these mm -hmm. are this it's, it's where, where when hereditary did it a couple years back and, and Ari Aster stuck with it for Midsommar and, and these things kept rolling. 
it, it kind of you 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 kept they kept finding new ways to kind of explore it. I think that one place where this movie does fall flat is it buys into grief and trauma uh, from personal experience more as a trope than something that's highly relatable. Uh, I, I think yep. that I think that kind of the way that this was written, it the the grief, the trauma felt more like a plot device than um, an important story element. And, and while it is it, it is it is important to the story, I think that it just kind of the thing about this movie is you can remove the fact that these girls' mom died in a car accident. You can completely move remove that, and it could just the be she's never been around. You know, she left whatever, and you've got the same exact movie. And I think that that is where it you you hone in on going, what is it? You know, because like you said, th these movies about grief, the history of this show so far. I mean, just the ones that we named, great scores across mm -hmm. the board. And so you know, you you look at that and you go, okay. I see, I see what you're doing here. Like I'm into this, but then you immediately realize that their grief isn't the driving force behind anything. It's just kind of shoehorned in there as a way that the boogeyman came into their lives, but you can remove that grief and just have, well, it stuck to them when the dude killed himself in their house. And yeah. it's the exact same movie. Yeah. And I, yeah. I do think that that's where this does it check all the boxes that some of those others did because you look at this and it it almost feels like this they took this short story um same from stephen king entitled the boogeyman and they they just kind of storyboarded out something where they were just focused on checking these major boxes uh, and they, you know, okay, we need jump scares. We need, we need good music. You know, we need a couple of, a couple of actresses who are going to go above and beyond what the script calls for. And they, they hit all these things. And I don't think they ever sat back and examined kind of what should the, the soul of this movie be like, how, why, how are we going to make people feel this movie? Not just be scared of it. Yeah, man. Um, and you know, I, I hadn't been able to pinpoint it, but I think you did. You 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 certainly did. So um, we started talking about it already. Let, let, let's get into the story. So in a section we're calling It's Not Real. Um, you've talked about the, the tropiness of the story here. Was there anything that did work for you in the story? So there, there definitely was. I I think that I think that the idea of exploring the boogeyman as not just a, a catch-all for something that's scaring kids in the night. I think that, the, and and actually creating a, a, a sort of tulpa out of it that feeds off of people's fear of it. That, I think, is a great idea. And I think that they set that up very well. I think that the the story of this big sister who's kind of an outcast looking out for her little sister because um, their dad's going through some shit and he's kind of, you know, he's, he's present, but he's not, you know, like present in air quotes. Mm -hmm. it, I, I think that that stuff really does hit. 
I really do think that the that what we got out of just the story of these three family members is good. I think that they they did a great job of telling and like you said, an extremely dark story that I mean, all cards on the table. The first fucking thing you see in this movie is a baby get killed. Yeah. Yes, it's slightly off camera, but they leave no doubt to the fact that you just watched the baby get killed by some sort of monster. So immediately sets this Vanta Black dark tone, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's absurd how very dark this goes. And so I think that they did a great job kind of developing this story. The dad never really believes. The big sister doesn't. She comes to believe. The little girl always does. I think that all of that stuff works great. I think that the uh, the actual character of the boogeyman, uh, I, uh, the, I believe the one lady, uh, Lester's wife, refers to it as liking to play with its food. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely love that. Because um, for anybody who's listening, I used the word tulpa earlier. If you're not a, if you're not familiar with what a tulpa is, a tulpa is the idea that so many people can believe in something that it actually becomes real. So mm-hmm. this idea that, you know, if if uh, like say Bigfoot was just a legend before he became ubiquitous with the word cryptid then the idea of a tulpa is the fact that all this energy in the collective subconscious, unconscious of all of these people could actually kind of materialize and create what people had thought it was. Almost like a Mandela effect. Yeah, exactly. So many many people have this like misremembering of something that more people will misremember that as well. Yeah. And so, so then you take that and you actually create this monster with it. And I will say one thing this movie throughout the story did very well was it did scare the shit out of me a couple of times. Yeah, it is creepy. It's, I mean, and it's, and yeah, it's most of the time it's, it's, it's jump scares and, and that's fine. Not everything has to be, I'm going to throw up because maybe she just killed her baby. Right. Like sometimes it's like, ah, and you scream and then you laugh. Like I watched this with my roommate last night and we did that a lot. Right. Like, huh. <laughs> you know, like, and you know, some sometimes a horror movie like that's it's good for it's good for the soul, right? It it kind of kind of lightens things from from the 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 existential dread that a movie like last week's leaves you filled with. So I think that it carried through very well. I, I think that it kind of it hit exactly what it needed to hit. It didn't go too long. I didn't feel unsatisfied with the way it ended. So I think that story wise at least the way it played out on screen was great. I, I think something that this movie got right, which if there is something you need to get right in the story department, it's this it's pacing. Yeah, there we there, go. That's the word there was, for. there was never a moment where I reached for my phone and I was like, uh, Oh, well, let me see what uh, so-and-so is up to on the Instagram. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I was in the moment I was in the movie um that was great the the sense of dread was there there's it was it was definitely creepy for me that's the thing and and yeah there were jump scares but i think that uh there was more of a reliance on um the building of tension because so often like they very clearly showed you that the boogeyman was in the room and then it was the but is he really in the room 
Right. And so um, very often it was just that slow reveal of him being there. Uh, I, I think what one of the only jump scares that I would say like that, that was um, it was a it, it was a jump scare. But I don't think there was ever a cheap jump scare in this one um, was when the boogeyman first crawls uh, out from the closet and skitters across the, oh, yeah. the rug and goes under the bed. That whole scene was fantastic. It was it was really well written, really well choreographed. It was it was great, and, and and I think that that's something that this movie does that a lot of other movies with better stories fail to do. Is it scared me? Yeah, it uh, it, it scared me, and and I I found myself uh, because I was watching in my living room, and I've got my you know my sliding glass door that leads to to the outdoor. Uh, right next to the living room i found myself looking out that window a couple of times just making sure that there was no boogeyman out there yeah looking at me like you know hey you look yummy <laughs> um so I, I i for that i applaud this but as far as the actual plot goes it's cheap yeah exactly it's it's it's, it's really cheap um i think that um the shoehorning of because that's that's what it is the shoehorning of uh, therapy and therapists in this was um, was cheap, and and I think that they went for something that is um, hot right now, and I hate to use that term, um, but it is um, it's hot to talk about therapy, right? And it's uh, it's hot to be self aware, right? Um, I think that to have Chris Messina's character be a therapist um, is inconsequential for the movie. Um, and it also makes him an entirely unlikable character. Yes. Because if he's so aware of others' problems and so willing to listen to them and then shuts down his own family, like you're a dirtbag. So I had a really hard time disassociating him from his, his character on the Mindy project. Um, <laughs> like the, the moment, the moment I saw him, I was like, Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, because I couldn't fucking stand him as Danny. Right. On um on 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 the Mindy project, he he, he to me he was just like a fuck. Like I, I I don't know if I've ever had this aggressive a reaction to anyone on this show. Um. Anyway, so like th that was uh, there was already that going into it, and then he behaves that way. And I know a lot of people in the field of psychology, maybe more than the average person. I'm not saying I know all of the people in the field of psychology, but go like, ahead, name a psychologist. I know him, <laughs> Carl Jung. Um, you know, I um, the it, one it, who it, thought everything was dicks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dickman. Dickman. Uh, yes. Yeah, Carl Dickman. <laughs> um, I, it, it would take me two hands to count all the people I know in the field of psychology. I thought you were about to make another dicks joke. I'm not no. going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. Listen, man, when it comes two, to dicks. Two hands. Yeah, two hands. Uh, <laughs> um, and I don't know any one of them that is th that are that like so um, like unaware of of themselves. 
you know um so it was it was just odd his behavior when you start thinking of his background and then the other psychologist that we see in uh in the movie i don't think is a very good psychologist either it's, she she had some she had some weird uh methodology her methodology was odd i want to yeah. know what what school of method like what school of psychology that's coming from uh because um you know it's not freudian it's not jungian uh, what what the fuck you know <laughs> uh so I, I i don't know and i got weird vibes from her yeah. as as a character like i kept waiting for something to happen with her and and so it was it was just odd the way that this was all kind of lumped in there and then i felt like um Sadie's group of friends was very stereotypical. Yeah. It, they were they were very stereotypical. Uh even even the 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 one friend, uh Bethany, who was like the better friend, still wasn't great. Like I I, I almost felt like I was watching an 80s slasher when they were on screen, because it was like, okay, well, you know, you're you're the mean girl and you're the girl that doesn't care. Like you're the apathetic one. It's like they, they hit all of the, of the tropes, all of the, the stereotypes. And um, it was, it, it was just to me, the, the, the writing felt cheap. I knew exactly where the story was going. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't, you know, Leo DiCaprio and it. it wasn't like that called it. There it is. Right. You know, but like in my own head, I was like, man, if I was playing bingo, I, I would have bingoed like five bingos ago. Right. So um, so it, it, it was just, you know, it was. And I think this is definitely the low point of the movie, because despite all that, the movie does work. Maybe yeah, even I, in spite of that, it does work. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is what allowed the story to carry so well was this thing was shot just beautifully. Yeah. Like Rob Savage was out of his mind with this one. I, I mean, there were so many. That was that was the thing when it was over. That was the thing I realized carried me through. It mm -hmm. wasn't it wasn't the story as much. It was that I was enamored with how pretty this thing was. This movie was gorgeous as, as it carried on from, from scene to scene. There were there were some great little camera tricks there. Uh, the, you were talking about the scene where the, the boogeyman comes out of the closet, and, like skitters down underneath the bed. They do that really cool thing where when she goes to lean off the bed, like the whole camera kind of spins was so well around done. with her. And so then you're looking at her perspective where it's all upside down as she rolls mm -hmm. the ball, uh, which I think was like I think it was like a moon. That that nightlight that she was carrying around all the time. If you're watching live, you can yeah. see the picture of it in the background here. I think it was supposed to be like a model of the moon or something. Um, but you know, I like that, that that camera angle when she did that, I think they did a lot of great stuff with the mm -hmm. the voices off scene because yeah. uh, off camera, because man, we talked about uh you know something similar in Demeter. There's there's a there's a a sinister nature to the ideal of the idea of dealing with something that mimics you, that mocks you. And that's its only form of communication. And this kind of took it to another level where it, it replicates people's voices hmm. after time. And it did that just to fuck with people. And that, that type of stuff was 
that was great. I do think that that you look at some of that, some of the just the use of lighting in this movie, the scenes where she's walking around just holding the one light or where she's got just the lighter and you're kind of seeing stuff. I think that that lent a lot to keeping you so sucked in visually that while watching, you're able to kind of ignore those other story things that might be bothering you. And and I think that I don't want to give credit to the people that say that horror movies don't have good stories, but I think that this movie is a great example of how you don't have to have a good story because there's really just a collection of good set pieces here. Uh, you can almost think of them as vignettes. Yeah. And, and, and if you think of it that way and you just remove the connecting tissue, I think it almost works better because uh, you talk about interesting use of lighting. The scene where um, uh, Sawyer is on the PlayStation. Yeah. She's, she's using the, the, the muzzle flash from, you know, the, the, the video game to illuminate the boogeyman man what a fucking scene yes you know? dude. And, and then and, you, you get that moment where she sees just its eyes like over the top of the couch reflected in the tv that that's what i'm saying like that that eye candy really did kind of distract you from the other yeah and it, it, it goes it goes a long way because ultimately i think and again i am not giving any credence to the people that say that horror doesn't have good stories because horror does have good stories. But um, what you want out of a horror movie is to be scared. And, and ultimately it did do that. Um, it just made me go along the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's the thing, right? Because it was like, there was a moment about halfway through this movie where I was just, I, I was just kind of engrossed and, and it was just kind of all washing over me. And I was enjoying that. I was scared and I was enjoying how pretty it was. There was a moment where halfway through, I'm sitting there going, is this, is this the type of movie that's going to make me like fall asleep with a light on? Right. Mm -hmm. that's because they're, because it, everything is happening in the dark and everything, you know, it's like, you got to, got to close that closet. You got to do this. You know, he's always hiding somewhere. He's under the bed. He's in the closet. All these, all these great things that, that kids are into, you know? And so there were about halfway through, I had that moment. I think that, and, and it's funny because there's part of me that wants to say that this is there. Well, let's take it back. There's part of me that wanted to say that this is Stephen King's fault because I, I do read a lot of King. And I think that there's one thing that a lot of people can agree on. And that is dude writes 90% of a great story and then kind of hits a wall. And he's like, I got to wrap this up. Like I'm out of story. And I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't plan on making it this far. You know, like when people are like, Oh, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, I didn't see myself getting to 40. So I don't know. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I feel like Stephen King reaches that point. So the, my initial thought was like, okay, the ending of this movie is suffering from the fact that it's based on a Stephen King short story. So I went and I looked into the boogeyman, the short story and it turns out the Boogeyman, the short story is almost exclusively about Lester Billings. Like mm. the everything that 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 happens in the in the short story is basically over about the time the about the time that that Lester Billings hangs himself in the closet. So I, I you know so 
That's I think that's why they they say it. I think that's why they constantly said it was from the mind of Stephen King, not right. based on a short story by Stephen King. It's almost like a sequel. Yeah, because it was almost just like okay, Stephen King had this idea for uh something scary about the boogeyman being real. Now we're gonna turn that into a movie. So I can't even blame him for that. I, I've really just got to look squarely at uh, at the screenwriters on this one, um, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. And feel like they kind of did the same thing. They had all these really good ideas of how to scare people. And then they were like, okay, but now what do we do? And sometimes when you take Stephen King work and then you create an ending, sometimes it's fucking amazing. Like uh, The Fog. Is it, wait, is it The Fog? The Mist. Um, the the mist. mist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you take something where Stephen King himself was like, fuck that ending's dark. I wish I'd thought of that. You know, and, and sometimes and sometimes that happens and you create you you decide that you are in for a penny, in for a pound. And this thing's been scary and you're going to end it dark as fuck. And then there are yeah. times when you look at this and go, OK, now how do we put a bow on this? So the dad and his daughters are happy. And that is somewhere where this movie fell short. Um, I also think it's, it's worth mentioning that. um the original screenplay was written by Beck and Woods, who, uh, as you mentioned, wrote uh, A Quiet Place. So, like, that that alone is, like, dude, I mean, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, it's cred for days. You, Yeah, you wrote A Quiet Place. But the movie was shelved after they wrote it. And uh, it, it was it was at Fox when Disney bought Fox. And okay. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just re reading up on this now. Uh, Disney shelved it and then it was brought back with Hulu and uh, Mark Heyman rewrote the script. OK, All yeah, right. so it was it was based on the drafts by Beck and Woods and um, uh, and uh, everyone else that was involved in the project. But uh, but was ultimately uh, this guy, Mark Heyman, who uh, his Wikipedia page is saying best known for co-writing Black Swan. Like, OK, well, that's that's another monster of a movie. Well played. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know where something was lost here. I don't know if it was that Fox had their hands in it and then Disney had its hands in it and then it went away. I don't know if it's Hulu had its hands in it. Uh, which writing group had its hands in it, which director did something with it. But there was something that was lost here. I think that there there is a really scary story here that um, that kind of gets lost in the sauce. It, it does. It does feel like a studio movie. It feels yeah. like no one could decide what this was like. Is, is it a monster movie or is it a movie about grief? Is it about both those things? Because I feel like you can have a balance there like you had with Smile or or you can go one way or the other where someone's dealing with this and they're dealing with a monster. So um, I don't know. I, I do. What I do know is that this is the one area where I think this movie really suffers, um, where I think there's a little bit more wiggle room is in its cast of characters so in a section that we're going to call the bereaved uh daniel who stands out to you so 
I said this at the top. I think that this is one of those movies where the actors who were put in it, at least the key players in this thing, really did outshine what was on the paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that there's there's a lot here. Uh, I know we just talked about him a couple weeks ago uh, with Demeter, but um, David Dalsmackian, um, yeah, he. I mean, he's in it for 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 this much time, right? And and then he's mm-hmm. gone. But holy shit, was he creepy? Just, I mean, and and I mean, not just when he's talking. Like he he has yes, just just him. I mean, for the very first time you see him, he's this out of focus character through a window, mm-hmm. right? And then he just shows up in this therapist's office, and he has this awful story about how he's lost three children and everybody believes that he murdered them and and he just he just needs help because there's this thing and it's after him and you know he so then so then the 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 therapist dad he uh he ends i almost called him danny um (laughs) he uh he ends up, uh, Will, there we go. He He's like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. And he calls the police. And I'm like, yes, fuck yes. Like, that's absolutely what you should have done. Because through the screen, I felt uncomfortable with Lester on my television. He, he for, for this is an example of, in, in you know, in, in music, this happens all the time. Like, especially in rap, right? It'll, it'll be like, Eminem featuring someone else. That's a bad example because it never happens with Eminem, but I've already said it. So it'll be like Eminem featuring, you know, someone else. And then the someone else just hijacks the song with their, you know, they got 16 bars and it's it's forever remembered as their song, right? Like I said, doesn't mm-hmm. happen with Eminem songs. But anyway, this movie was the cinematic equivalent of that. This was a movie where David Dalshmackian was put into a minor setup role and absolutely hijacked this film when it was all said and done the minute like as soon as the movie was over the one name i could remember 100 and i'll never forget was lester billings because he was yeah. so damn good in that one little bit uh like the when she's when uh when sophie is listening to the the recording and you hear that the dad's like oh i gotta go to the bathroom and he walks off and then you just hear uh, Lester like rambling to himself slash getting you know into a, into it with the boogeyman or whatever yeah. that is just David Dashmackian recorded and again steals the scene wasn't even on it just so damn good with how well he took this rollover for a guy that honestly like I I I always figured it would be like oh yeah he's one of the funny guys from Ant Man right like this right. guy continues to step into roles where I'm just like this dude can act his ass off. I, 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 I loved him. He was far and away uh, the, 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 the movie stealer for me. Um, I, I, I agree. He's not in it for long enough. Um, and I, I would like to see um, as much as I, I, I kind of took a dump on, on the story here. I would like to see a proper adaptation of Lester Billings story. Right, uh, a prequel where we get to see what went down in the Billings house. Yeah, um, like how, like how did it end up like that bad? Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So I, I would, uh, because if, for me, he, he really was the, the, the one where I was like, fuck, man, that was awesome. Um, um, I mean, listen, 
she's the heroine of the story, but Sophie Thatcher as Sadie Harper. Um, this is a girl that from oh yeah, the, I called her Sophie, but that's her real name. Yeah, <laughs> from the from the very limited body of work that I've I've seen of hers. I love it all because um, I don't know if you've seen Yellow Jackets. Only the very first episode because Amazon teased me with it and then told me I needed. Yeah, to uh, fuck man, she is outstanding in Yellow Jackets, uh, and then she's got a small role in the Book of Boba Fett uh, in the second season, second or third season, I can't remember now, and um, again knocks it out of the park. Um, I also really enjoyed Prospect with um, uh, with Pedro Pascal, and um, um, there's 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 a gravitas to her, man. Like she's just she's really really good. I buy her in every role that she's in. So um, for me, that's um, you know after um, like yeah, Desmalkian is fucking awesome, but it's a small part. She carries this movie. Um, she she carries this movie in a big way. And I think that even in those scenes with her friends where it's like, man, like this is it hurts because of how stereotypical it is. Right. Like I thought we had progressed past this sort of like really, really kitschy writing um, in a movie that's taking itself seriously. Right. Uh, because if it's a campy movie, then like it, it kind of makes sense there. But um, even in those scenes, she managed to bring like a real sense of professionalism to it. And and I I bought her as the grieving daughter. I bought her as the daughter who is simultaneously trying to be there for her younger sister and to be the parent because right. there's no longer a parent in the household uh really so um i i would have to give it to, to if i'm going to talk about any one person it's it's definitely going to be her plus she drops the she's she's the one who gets the the great predator line you know if it, it, it bleeds we i've seen i've seen it bleed yeah kill it you know <laughs> like yeah um the only other one for me and 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 oh and by the way, the reason I kind of gasped while you were in the middle of talking about is Sophie Thatcher because I could not remember her in Book of Boba Fett. Uh, she was in that um, that gang of like mods yeah. that rode the mm -hmm. scooters and and had robot body parts. Um, so the one for me that that I'm torn on what makes her performance so memorable is uh, Marin Ireland as uh, yeah. Rhea Billings. And and I and I've been back and forth with this one a lot. Like, did I did I did I feel for her? Did I did I dislike her because she'd reached this point where she was willing to do to to sacrifice this girl if that's what it took? You know, and, and I I've been I've been back and forth with it a lot. And it's funny because I was uh I was texting with Hunger, um, you know, friend of the show, been on here plenty of mm -hmm. times. I was texting with him. And uh, he goes, so what did you think of Boogeyman? And I was like, man, I liked it. And then I, I go, I go, it wasn't perfect, but I enjoyed it. And he literally says, the, he goes, it couldn't be perfect because that, uh, 
he, he says he says what would have made it perfect is if that blonde bitch died and i was like well first off i think she did um I was like, way harsh ty yeah um and so uh but i i really there was she was kind of the other side of of lester right which mm -hmm. is a great married couple she was the one who it seemed like decided that yes this got to her and it destroyed her life as i'm sure losing three of your children in a, in a year a couple of years would do yeah but then she was the one who regardless of it driving her absolutely insane decided that she was going to take action against it so there's there's that part of me where i'm like you know she she went through the steps and and then added that revenge step and was like, and this is where I land. You know, she she kind of settled her grief and, you know, not in the most healthy way, but she she came up with something. Yep. And so there's there's that part where I'm like, OK, so, you know, so this is great. This is a cool character. And then there's part of me who's that, that's like, oh, man, but also she's just kind of terrible and you know like that first <laughs> that first time you see her like we don't actually see the boogeyman as she blasts off a shotgun shot right yeah like she might just be fucking Baby's nuts head. yeah and so you're you're sitting there so i was just i was back and forth with her i was back and forth on her so much but at the same time i remember like every single thing she said and and i could perfectly picture the way she looked as she went through all of these things and and just that that moment when you first see her and and she you know she says what is this some kind of dare you know you get off on her suffering just that and just the way yeah. she was carrying herself in that moment where you could tell she was a beaten human being but was was not going to let it be the end of her and so I, I thought that I, I thought that she was she was just a great character. Plus that actress, she's been in Umbrella Academy. Um, she's been in uh oh um uh Hulu. Why the Last Man? Thank you. She was in uh, Why the Last okay. Man. Um, she's played some roles in some things that I really do like a lot. And so I do think that it being that actress helped. But I think that she did a great job of turning grieving parent into a much more three-dimensional character for better or for worse than uh then and i don't even want to blame messina but just more than the the character uh of mm -hmm. will did she yeah. she seemed to show like i said unhealthy growth but right. she did show growth getting through this moment whereas until we get this just diabetic coma sacralose sweet moment with will at the end whereas you know like the first time when he has a breakthrough which would have been okay if it weren't for the fact that then he had to add the extra line like pounding his own chest about how he just had a breakthrough yeah. <laughs> it, was just like, it was bad it was so bad i was so frustrated with it but like i said where she did she did show that there was an that there there are there are ways to evolve and to move past these horrible things happening and yeah. also some and something that was very similar to what talk to me did was understanding that you can create a character for a movie who evolves solely through unhealthy coping mechanisms yeah 
and they can become a an interesting character. And I I think um, it goes beyond the makeup department and like wardrobe and and, and hair. She looked like shit. Yeah, <laughs> like you you saw you saw it on her face, and and like this this is a this is a good looking woman. Yeah, I was about to say, and, which, which it's not easy to do with someone like Marin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's beautiful, and and she looked awful, awful. Like when when I when I first saw her on screen, um, I didn't get that this was Lester's wife. Right. Like she, she looked infinitely older than, than, than he did. And, uh, and once she addressed her, I was like, Oh shit, that's Lester's wife. Yeah. And, and, and then as, as the scene went on and you, you saw more of her later in the movie, um, I kind of saw more of her there. Um, and interestingly, I think we, we see her more for herself at the end of the movie when she says, I know, I, I, I know what to do now. Yeah, uh, you know, it's almost like she's found her purpose again. So, um, there, you're right. There's, there's a, there's a great, great job done there. Um, I am going to uncharacteristically talk about um, and a, a performance I didn't like. Um, and it's, it's not going to be about Chris Messina because I still haven't decided whether I don't like his performances or I don't like the roles that he chooses. Fair. Because because I, I I'm pretty sure that you're supposed to hate these guys, right? And I've heard he's really good in Air, um, but I haven't watched mm. it yet. And he no, was no. he was great in Devil. If you have, um, I haven't seen Devil. Uh, yeah, but again, kind of rides the fence on like maybe you're just really good at playing a guy I'm not supposed to like. <laughs> right, right. So so I'm I'm not I'm not sure yet if if I um if I don't like his performance or if I don't like the role, like, because if, if, if it's that sort of thing where it's like, you know, listen, man, he's supposed to be a, a dude. You don't like, he's an unlikable character it was written that way. Okay, cool. I'm on board with that. Um, like I'm a fan of uh, Mad Men, you know, not yeah. one likable character on that show. <laughs> so um, I, except Christina Hendricks, um, shit. Uh, what was her name? Never actually seen it. I just know oh, her. okay. I just know her as Christina Hendricks. <laughs> yeah, her, um, her character, and I'm killing myself for for not remembering the name of the character now. Uh, she plays the office manager. That is a likable character, and just about no one else on that show is. And it's a great show, and they all do a fantastic job. So, um, Lisa Gay Hamilton as Doctor Weller <laughs> did not like this. Um, I. Um, I don't often like to bash um, performances like this because I, I feel like when when something is a group effort, like it's a little easier to be like, hey, this didn't work. Right. Because then like you're not really calling any one person out. But um, man, I really didn't like this performance um, to me. Um, like I've seen a couple therapists in my life. I mentioned, you know, at the top of the show, I, I've I know uh, a number of of people in the field of psychology, and um, even with that, I where where did she get the inspiration for for this? Because there's there's what's on the paper, 
right? Because what's what's on what's on script may be bad. Because I think that that whole like you know a immersion therapy with the light and all that was just a terrible idea, right? Um, you know, and I'm not a therapist. Maybe that's something that works, but my understanding is when someone says they're uncomfortable with something, you stop. Yeah, you know? like yeah, th- that's what I, I had that same thought. I was like, okay. Like, maybe you should ease into this and it shouldn't be like on day one, we're going to make it to total darkness. You know, it's like maybe just yeah. start with the, it flashes a couple times and then you let the girl go before she pees her pants. Just yeah. a thought. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know if 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 the ultimate goal is to make little girls pee their pants, but I'd like to think <laughs> that it's not. If if that is, then she's a really good, a really good psychologist. If If that is the goal, you know, because like, who am I to say it isn't? Right. That's not my area of expertise. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, also, having both sisters in there at the same time, like, people grieve in different ways, and people grieve at different ages. So, yeah. like, the complexity of grief at different ages, I have to imagine, is different. and. If I were in a therapy session with someone else and my gripe was with or with that person or with someone else that's close to us, I don't feel like I would be able to speak freely. And like couples therapy is a thing, but you right. have to be able to like speak freely. Um, you know, and and can you speak freely when some of these issues are things that you don't feel the other person is ready to know? And understand. So uh, there was just something odd about that, and then the way that she played it—I don't—it felt odd. It felt sinister, almost. Like I—I think I said that I was waiting for something to happen with her. Yeah, like I kept. So at the at the very end, when uh, when Sadie goes back in because she hears the 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 therapist call for, and then the closets open. And I was like, oh, my God, is this the fucking reveal that the therapist was always the boogeyman, right? Like, that was... That Therapy's was, the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, <laughs> is that how they're going to fuck with this trope? Therapy is the bad guy, right? And then it was like, no, nope, he was just fucking with her still. But, like, then at least there would have been a little bit more credence to the fact that she seemed so bad at her job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it was it, it was odd. Um, you know, the, the choice in, like even the choice of glasses that they gave her were like, they didn't suit her face. Right. Um, you know, it was just, it, it, there was, there was a really odd off putting thing about her performance. Uh, I, I feel like either she got really bad direction or she got no direction or she just like, this wasn't the right role for her. And I understand that like you as a, is a, is a working actor like you take the roles that come right um you know because uh the the role you perform poorly in is better than the role you don't perform in correct so 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 i get that and i'm i'm not gonna knock that but if you are in a movie that's going to be released in the public you know you're you're gonna i i don't know man (laughs) um maybe go to therapy once and see how that therapist works uh, how that therapist speaks, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like if you've had a conversation with one teacher, you've had a conversation with every fucking teacher. Yeah. Because with 
you know, yeah, there's minor things here and there that make us all unique and different and, you know, blah, 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 blah. We're all important, but we're all the fucking same. Yeah, I mean, all we're right. all going to make a joke about where wine fits into Maslow's hierarchy. Like, I mean, you know, we've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've got the same bank, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want you want higher order thinking? Uh, <laughs> let 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 me uh, let me put some uh, let let me turn this coffee into Irish coffee. There and, we go, uh, exactly. and then we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll have the highest order of thinking here. Um, so yeah, there's there is a character that we haven't got around to yet because we, as we tend to do when we're discussing something that has a monster or just one particular big bad, and that is we got to talk the boogeyman, right? Mm -hmm. The movie's named after. Him. We got to get to understanding whether or not he's an effective movie monster. How does he evolve or devolve throughout the course of the film for you? Uh, this, I think, is the strongest point in the movie. Um, I think it's very aptly named. If they would have called it um, Bereavement, I would have said, nah. Uh, if, I'd like if to have Kira Knightley in it. <laughs> probably yeah um and, and it takes place in uh, in victorian england mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah bereavement um, is definitely a period piece with colin yeah. firth and kira knightley i think i'm just i think i'm just saying i think i'm just talking about the movie atonement right now uh, uh probably <laughs> probably but that's that's okay uh that shit was boring too um so <laughs> um it's it's just Kira Knightley sitting around going, I'm not ready to move on. <laughs> um, I mean, that is. That's the yeah, yeah. spoiler alert. I mean <laughs> uh listen, yeah, this this is the strongest point in the movie. The the monster's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. The boogeyman is really well designed. Uh it's got really, really creepy qualities to it. I like the lore that they introduced where like it it feeds off of people who are uh, who are already weak, who are suffering from something because it has uh, it has an easy access to your pain and your suffering. And because it likes to play with its food, that's that's what's going to give it pleasure. Right. Because uh, I one of the things I thought was really interesting is that um, Lester says that the his youngest daughter died of SIDS. Yes. Um, and and that that made them susceptible. But it seems like the youngest daughter, if that was the youngest daughter, was like hacked to pieces. So like what actually happened there? I was a little confused about that. But I, all I know is that it made the monster even more interesting because it wasn't just the thing that hides in your in your closet. Um, now. How does it actually move around? Is it only one of them? Uh, because like this thing manages to what crawl on the yeah. ground from one place to another without ever being seen. Uh, and the ceiling, maybe. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that there's people moving like they're driving from one house to another in daylight. Mm -hmm. And it's moving from one place to another. So like, how is it really doing these things? I don't know. Uh, but I think that is not an issue with the monster. I think that's an issue with the writing. That's an issue with the story. And um and so the monster as as a creature, if this if you think of this as a creature feature, I think is incredibly incredibly effective. It's very scary. Every scene that the monster was in was one where um I had to remind myself like, "Hey, you don't have to look over your shoulder." 
it's okay. Right. It's not really there. Like it's not real the way that they, they would say in the movie. And I, I really appreciated that because as, as a kid who had an overactive imagination, I constantly was um, like making sure that my foot never poked out from the covers in bed because that's when the skeletons would come out from under the bed and grab your foot and drag you down to hell. Right. You know, that sort of like weird kitty shit where it's like, you know, oh, I got to be really careful here. You're like, you know, can you please close that closet door? All that sort of shit. Um, it did. A, the boogeyman is effective. Yeah, I think that that ultimately sums up whether or not, you know, he's a good movie monster because, yeah, he was effective. Look, did I sleep with the light on last night? No. Did I make sure my closet was closed before I went to bed? Yeah, I did. Um, and I never really care about that, but I just happened to be walking by and I was like, Oh, look at that. That's better weird. safe than sorry. Yeah, exactly. Went ahead and <laughs> shot that guy. Um, I, I think that I, I love, I love that, that, that whole concept of playing with its food and the fact that it really was just fucking with them. But then mm. we find out that it doesn't, it doesn't just slash and like physically eat you. It feeds on you very similarly to, you know, a Dementor. Yeah. Uh, that's from the Harry feeling Potter. I got. You know, you eventually see it. And not only is it like, you know, and Lester Billing says it sucked the life right out of him. And we, we get the visual of it sucking the life out of Sadie, but it continues to fuck with her as it's sucking her life out. That, she, man, that moment when like the hands start coming out and there's something inside of it. And it's got that a mom's voice. Yeah, like mm -hmm. that, that, right? Where it was, it was, it was like, okay, yeah, you're really scared and this is going to be delicious. And this steak is cooked perfectly. But man, if I toss <laughs> some garlic butter on this bitch right now, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that was, that was the feeling that I got. Uh, mm -hmm. I did, I did have a moment where, where I did the same thing as you because she's at the Billings house and they blow this thing to smithereens, right? And mm -hmm. then it comes back and it attacks. And she, as soon as she gets outside, she calls her dad. Yeah, no, we're at the house. Boom. It's all the way back at her house and sucks him in. Yeah. Then I decided to apply never-ending story to logic. And I was okay with it. And in case you're wondering what I mean by that, in the never-ending story too, they described the speed of darkness as being faster than the speed of light. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this thing moves solely in the darkness. So yeah, sure. All right. I'm yeah. good with that now. Right. Because it, it did fit the idea of this monster that is a psychological being um, again, feeding my Tulpa theory the fact that all of the things that we attribute to a boogeyman or that a child would attribute to a boogeyman, it is able to manifest. One of those things being it can literally be in any shadow. So I, I, had, I had that thought and then I was at peace with that. And that was really one of the only things that, that, that at first bothered me about it. And then I came around to it. I love that it took the tooth on the string mm. and then just held on to it until like the prime moment to absolutely destroy was great. this mm. girl's psyche. I mean, just, just absolutely shatters her by hanging on to this tooth on a string. I like that's, that's devious. That's and it's, and it's, it's absurdly evil. And I loved that because that was the feeling that I got 
the entire movie was that even though we do eventually kind of see it, we never get it like in full light or anything. And I really do appreciate that. You know, there are times when that works like pumpkin head. Yeah. Show me that yeah. whole motherfucker. Right. This one is one where it's like, okay, yeah, no, I need it to still have some mystery. So even like you said, the mouth opens and it's like, okay, I get it now. But then suddenly there's more hands coming out of it. And you start to realize that the reason this thing is the boogeyman is because it's everything that everyone has ever said the boogeyman was i you know it is it is the thing in the closet it is the thing under your bed it's all of those and it and it's doing it all at once so i love that i love the way it moved around the house and and it targeted sawyer because she was the weakest link as the child she had the strongest belief in it and then through targeting Sawyer, it was able to then put uh, uh, Sadie in a place where she believed because she wasn't full blown attacked until she's in the hospital with Sawyer and says, I didn't believe you before, but I do now. Mm-hmm. So is it vital that he, you know, that he that you believe in him. Well, not vital because he does end up attacking the dad, but also while the dad's holding Sawyer, right? So there's there's still little loopholes in, mm-hmm. in all of these things because you could say, okay, so he grabs Sawyer and that pulls them both back in. Now the dad has to believe because he's just been dragged across the house by this paranormal entity. And so I feel like every time there was something that that maybe I could poke a hole in, as soon as I examined it a little bit further, I was able to buy it. And if there's anything you've got to have for a movie monster is you've got to have buy-in. I've got to be scared of this thing. And I've got to under, I've got to believe that what it's doing is possible within the confines of what they've created as the right. universe in this movie. And I feel like they never overstepped their boundaries with that i mean sure yeah it takes multiple shotgun shells to the head and it comes back well because i don't my view of the boogeyman in this movie is that he's not a uh uh what's the word i'm looking for corporeal thing Mm -hmm. right he is he is literally just this mass of negative energy in this bizarre form that's an amalgamation of all of these childhood nightmares and so, yeah, sure, you slow him down, but there there is no blood to bleed. Yeah, you can shoot him and he goes down, but there there are no organs there. There there was no way to stop him. I mean, they eventually we watch him disintegrate in flames and are still left at the end of the movie dealing with the fact that he still seems to be around. And I attribute that to the fact that I don't think there is a flesh and blood boogeyman. I think that there is a, 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 a shape of terrible, uh, just badness and, and yeah, boogieism. There we go. (laughs) Boogieism. Yeah. That, that, that it's never going to go anywhere. I, you know, there's, there's, you could, the, you could make 10 more of these that happen before and after and place them wherever you want in history. This motherfucker can show up in space. He can show up during the Salem witch trials. It doesn't matter. Ooh, that might be good. <laughs> right? Yeah. But 
it doesn't matter because he does he's not going to age he's not a physical thing and so just when i wrapped all of that up like i that was the thing for this movie where it was like that doesn't miss and i love it i am so glad that you said all that because the one thing that i wasn't sold on was how he worked as a monster and uh i wasn't kind of chalking it up to him as a monster and more to the the use of or or the lack of lore and mythology that, right. that went into this um which goes back to you know the, the the writing issues but to think of it as like hitler was stopped but nazism wasn't there you go right um like that's that's kind of i i think what what happened here like she she saw a version of the boogeyman burn uh but it doesn't stop the boogie right <laughs> you know uh uh because you can't stop the boogie. daft punk gonna sue us <laughs> <laughs> you gotta boogie down always <laughs> um you know so um I'm I'm waiting for um just call it two electric boogie loo. Is, yeah, is that I, yeah, I, I was <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna call it boogie two electric breaking loo. There we go. That works too. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, there's ultimately the monster works and and whether whether it works because um the the very casual mental gymnastics that we just went through to explain it works right which to me if if it's if it's only one jump in logic it's fine so i'm 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 willing to accept it cuz it's just the one jump in logic uh or it's like okay but maybe none of those things are true and maybe it's just a fucking monster right but uh but also it's a really scary one yeah yeah exactly so e- Either way, for me, it works. It works, and um, a lot of it also goes back to the way that it was it was filmed. You talk about the fact that you you never really see it head to toe. You see bits and pieces of it, and um, and that I think that ultimately Rob Savage knows how to scare you. And uh, I mean, he's no stranger to horror, so it makes sense. But uh, that I this is hands down the best part of the movie. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, because and like you said, yes, uh, like he's this was just him knowing exactly what to do, which uh, I mean, and if you're wondering why we're saying he's no strength, you uh, go watch host where Mm -hmm. the whole thing like takes place on Zoom and is is still incredible. Uh, so yeah, cause I mean, when it was over and his name popped up, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm connecting a lot of dots now that I'm happy with. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I mean the boogeyman works and, and, and deservedly is the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Eponymous character yeah. uh, of this, of this movie. So it's time for us to, I mean, get to the end, right? We've talked yep. about it all. Let's rate this thing. So here at Shiver, we never rate a movie against itself. Yes, we've referenced a lot of other movies and we've talked about things that did better or worse than those movies. But when it comes time to actually rating it, we only look at the movie itself and what it was trying to present to us and how well it did that. And in order to accomplish that, what we do is we create a unique rating system for every movie. And so Dave, out of a possible five terrible therapists, 
What do you give the boogeyman? Well, the thing is, there were two terrible therapists in this movie. <laughs> I mean, so it's so, at least it's at least gotta it's got to be at least two. Um, look, I was going back and forth on 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 what to give this movie. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to give it less than three. Right. Um, bad therapist because uh, because of the aforementioned two therapists in the movie, but also because it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. So I feel like to give it a two and a half, it's like, I couldn't give this thing 50%. Right. 50% is bad. No way. So it has to be at least like a 60-40 split. At least. And I think it's better than that. So um, I think I think I'm going to go three and a half bad therapists. I think that, that that's something I um, I feel comfortable saying that. Um I, I don't feel like I'm being forced to see a red light be dimmed and and brought back in. Um, I'm comfortable with that. I consent to the three and a half bad therapist for all the reasons that we've talked about. And, and, and ultimately, I think that uh, a whole bad therapist here comes from the fact that the monster is just outstanding. Yeah, I've I've been in that trying to figure out. Right. I've been trying to figure out three and a half or four, three and a half or four, because ultimately, yeah, I, you know, story does fall very flat in this movie. And so, you know, that's, that's an issue. But when I start to look at how engrossed I was in this thing, I start to kind of shine that turd a little bit. Okay. Right. I, I start to I start to look at how much I did enjoy some of the performances that we got. I start to look at how genuinely scared I was. Um, which, you know, as as there there are there are a lot of really great horror movies that that scare in a lot of different ways. And it's a it's been a long time since we've done one that genuinely just kind of like, ha, ah, like I said, like those mm -hmm. scares, it's been a while since we've done one like that. And so I did really enjoy that. I do think that we got some great performances and I do think that the boogeyman was an excellent character. So I'm going to ride in at four terrible therapists just because, okay. uh, I, I think, I think that there's, there, there is a lot more good than bad so yes i'm i because i was like you know am i gonna go that 60 40 you know i'm I'm gonna go up from there so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it that that uh that 80 and i'm gonna call it a four to five travel therapist nice all right so then uh if i'm mathing correctly and i'm very likely not that is three and three quarter terrible therapists um i'm gonna go ahead and say that the last quarter um dr weller couldn't find because her glasses are so <laughs> fucking stupid um <laughs> fair yeah so uh so there you have it that's um that is the boogeyman um i i think i think a really interesting way to to start uh this year because we we've had like high highs and we've had mid mids and i feel like last year it was either like bam so high we had a lot of highs and yeah. then like low lows there's very there's very few like yeah it was okay Right.
Yeah. I mean, we, we did watch Blood and Honey last year. So, <laughs> man. so if you've enjoyed the show, please head over to shiverpod.com where you can find links to all of our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We broadcast live on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram every Wednesday at 9, 8 central. We, are, uh, we have been taking January to catch up on movies that we missed in 2023. We've got one more mm-hmm. January left, so make sure you follow us on all those social media outlets to catch word of what we will be doing next week as we wrap this up. Uh, you know, we're off to a great start here in January. And I mean, like you said, yeah, two, I mean, we've, we've been, we've been gradually sloping down. That so, is true. We went so, from six to five. Yeah. To three and, and a three and three quarters. Three quarters. So who knows? what what next week has to has to offer for us but make sure you follow us give us a shout if you've got an idea of what you think we should do if there's something that you saw in 2023 that we've not discussed on the show we'd love to hear about it and maybe you'll get a shout out hell maybe you'll be on the show next week we love to have people on so check us out there you can find all those links at shiverpod.com absolutely so on behalf of all of us here at shiver fright you very much